I think uh, this year with the new guys that we brought in, the guys, you know, they have seven, eight years, some of the guys they brought in, and even maybe more than that. So I think it's going to be unique in that clubhouse. I think guys can talk to each other. The great thing about the new coaching staff is we can talk to them, and, uh, you know, they can learn from us, and we can learn from them. I think that's a great opportunity for this team. And I also think it's going to take, uh, you know, with 162 games, it's going to pan out in the, in the long run, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Good morning, and welcome to episode 303 of Complex.com's number 23-ranked sports podcast. Oh, come on. Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. You have absolutely no <laughs> shame at all. I just always wanted to be 23rd best at something. Uh-huh. So, now we are. Uh, my name is Ben Lindbergh, joined by my co-host, Sam Miller. Good morning. Number 23 co-host in America. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I wonder if one of us is, is higher than 23 and the other is lower than 23 and pulls the other one down. On average, we're 23rd. Yeah. Um, how are you? Uh, good. How, how are you doing, Ben? Okay. I have a question okay. for you. So on... Um, on Tuesday, there was a uh, there was a home run call that that went the Tigers' way and went against the A's, mm-hmm. and that was you know a, a hugely significant play in the game, and um, it, it seems perfectly reasonable. The call that the umpires made seems reasonable to me. There were other people who thought it was it was obvious. Uh, it was obvious that it went against the A's uh, unfairly. Mm-hmm. The A's radio team uh, was a hundred percent certain of it. There was no doubt in their mind at all that the umpires messed it up, but. That's not really the point. The point is that sometimes when there is a uh, when umpires have the benefit of replay, they still get it wrong, and um, I, I I can't figure out whether when that happens, it is good for replay or bad for replay. Mm. It feels sort of like um, like with the A's broadcast, it sort of sounded like they were using that as evidence that replay isn't good although it was subtle and so i might have been projecting on them but like this they, they were sort of hinting like well you know replay is not a, a magic cure-all and you, you still get missed calls and and i was sort of taking that to mean that they were saying that replay isn't good maybe mm-hmm. but i might be wrong but i mean is it good or bad for the replay movement when umpires look at a look at a replay and still get it wrong bad right how could it be good well uh, because they get so many more of them right. And because it's not like, I mean, I don't know. It feels like it, they get, uh, you know, if you get 99 right and, and one wrong, the wrong one stands out more than if you're just sort of used to them getting everything wrong, which is how we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're saying that if they get more wrong, then it won't be as big a deal when they do get one wrong? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it doesn't, like, like if you're saying that they, they got it wrong, I mean, look, the, if you think that they, they got this one wrong uh, to start with, and then they, they watched the replay and they, they upheld the wrong one, if that's what you think, then the replay didn't get them more wrong. It, it didn't make anything wronger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, at least you feel like they 
got a chance to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, you know, they just didn't. I mean, they're still fallible people. I don't know. It doesn't make me feel like replay is is worse. And yet, I don't know. It feels like some people do use that, and it feels like a little bit of a leap to me to get to that yeah, point. I think it's definitely a, a leap. I mean, so that's that seems like a a bad thing to me because if I mean the argument for replay is well, we want to get the calls right, and you can't really argue with that argument. Uh, so if if replay is sometimes wrong, then that sort of takes away some ammunition from the the pro replay argument because the the anti replay people can say well you know it's still not perfect there's still going to be mistakes so why don't we just stick with the the human element that we have instead of getting all fancy um so i think it's it's not good when that happens and it's kind of it's i'm always surprised on tv broadcasts about how my opinion of what the replay shows will sometimes differ from the broadcasters mm-hmm. um which is weird we're watching the same thing and sometimes it seems really obvious to me and sometimes it sort of seems like the the announcer made up their mind before they saw the replay and then the replay just kind of confirmed what they thought they saw um often it will happen if if their initial gut reaction is that something was like a bad call and then the replay will show that it was actually a good call, but maybe they don't want to go back on that after they've been bashing the umpire or something. So that happens sometimes. And it sounds like maybe that's what happened on the the radio broadcast you were listening to, unless that was just a lot of Homerism or something. Yeah, I think it was probably a lot of Homerism. I do love the, I love, uh, this is a different genre of announcer replay uh, amusement, but I love it when the announcer will like use a play to make an example of, of something like, you know, oh, look at, look at how well he keeps his, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, you know, I don't know, his head on the ball when he swings and then they show the replay mm-hmm. and his head is way <laughs> off the ball yeah. and it's like pain- painfully obvious, but the announcer like has already made his point. So um, we've got four teams now that have either won or lost a playoff series. And I wanted to just ask you about what the narratives are for the two that are going forward and for the two that are going home. Mm. Um, The Red Sox clinched last night. The Dodgers clinched the day before. The Braves are at home, uh, although their tears have dried. (laughs) The Rays are at home, and they are uh, still crying. They are, I have it on good authority. They are all sitting at home crying, mm-hmm. every single one of them. Um, so the winners, um, the Dodgers, it seems to me, have picked up this like kind of uh, public momentum where now anything less than winning the World Series, there will be like a lot of finger pointing and scapegoating because they are they have established themselves in the public perception as by far the best team in baseball. Mm. Does that does that seem like like the I mean do you have that impression not that they are the best team in baseball but that that is how people view them now? Yeah, sort of. Um, yeah, there was there, there was a lot of criticism of I guess if there's if there's one narrative for everything that's happened so far it seems to be managers, right? Yes. Managers yes. are are taking a ton of abuse for everything. Um which... Managers are the new umpires. They're gonna be. We're <laughs> gonna have to have instant replay for managers in a few years. Yeah, 
Uh, I don't know if, I mean, I guess this is something that probably happens every October to, to some extent. People focus on on each decision, each pivotal point in the game, and often that's something that a manager did. Yeah, but somehow it feels feels ramped up a bit this year uh, relative to what I remember. Every every move is getting scrutinized and, and people are getting blamed for things. Why do you think? Um, I don't know. I can't think of a reason why it would be more so now than in the past. I guess maybe there's some people who kind of have lame duck status or at least they're their job security isn't great like like Mattingly I guess doesn't have a contract for next year and maybe that leaves him open to more criticism I don't, I don't know other other than that I can't think of uh, what it would be what would contribute to managers getting more abuse this year than they have before you don't just blame the Twitter mm, the Twitter was here last year too I know but maybe it's uh maybe it's a ramping up of this could be. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been on the Twitter much lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, uh, but Mattingly's not. You don't think Mattingly's job is in danger? Uh, probably not. But I don't know. It's. I mean, he hasn't hasn't gotten that extra year. Everyone wants that extra year. I don't uh-huh. know. I mean, he almost got fired earlier in the season. As we've as we've discussed, and it seems like it would be tough to to fire him after after how the Dodgers played, you know, following that point. So the uh, the I think that a lot of the manager uh, the manager controversies have have all been around you know when to use which pitcher. Mm-hmm. There, there's been a little bit of bunting, but it's been almost all it seems to me about uh, when to use your starter. Yeah. Uh, like, should you bring him back on three days rest? Uh, how to use your starter if he's coming out of the bullpen and when to bring in your closer, mm-hmm. uh, basically early in the eighth, late in the eighth or in the ninth. And um, I don't know why those three are, are catching on now, but I it sort of feels like, um, I don't know, maybe there's a hang on. Uh, OK, Um it feels I don't know maybe like uh, we've seen a little bit less uh, uniformity from all managers on on all of those issues and so now they they feel um, it doesn't feel like like we expect the managers to necessarily follow the orthodoxy and so when managers have the option we kind of really treat it like a choice it, rather than just like oh this is how it's always been done mm. um, so uh, it stands out more when a manager. Uh, goes with the conservative approach, I guess. Yeah, that could be. I mean, there must be more more people who are aware of sort of why it doesn't make sense to manage according to save situations. And uh, I don't know, maybe there are more people aware of the the times through the lineup penalty or something. Maybe Maybe these things are making some headway and people are getting frustrated by them. Um, the four out save seems to be picking up the four or more out save seems to be picking yeah. up more momentum, both because managers are getting slammed when they don't do it. I mean, it's just it's like it almost is like automatic that if you have a lead in the eighth and you don't bring in your closer, you're going to get second guessed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's still not the norm that they bring in their closer, but it is the norm now that you get second guessed for it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we'll get to this, but I guess maybe we'll get to 
to it right now, but it seems like the main narrative from the Braves series was mm-hmm. that they were mismanaged, yeah. and the main example of it was was underuse of Kimbrel. And um, it's way too early to say this, but it does feel like maybe there's a bit uh, more momentum uh, of actually using the the closer for more than three outs. Um, there have been three saves so far uh, of three or more outs. Uh, this year, and of course, we're still pretty early in the playoffs. There were uh, four all of last year. 2011 was uh, was pretty common. There were six. And so I don't know if we'll catch 2011, but four in 2010, four in 2009, three in 2008, and a, a you know a decent proportion of those were Mariano Rivera, yeah, uh, right. who has always been the exception. So if you take out Rivera, the numbers go down historically. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but of course, on the other hand, nobody's come in for two yet. The, mm-hmm. Nobody's gotten more than four outs in a save so far. Uh, and really what differentiates the postseason is the six-out save, I would mm-hmm. say. Well, I think it's it's good if there's some, I mean, if, if, if the public is second-guessing managers for not doing this, then I think that could lead to some change because it does seem to me that managers do manage to avoid getting second guessed uh, after after covering the the Tigers Yankees series last year and hearing Jim Leland talk about how he wished he had an established closer because no one questions you when you have an established closer and you can just put him in and even if he fails it's not your fault you didn't make a mistake um, so if if the narrative now or if you know if there's a risk that you will get criticized in the paper and on Twitter and on the radio the next day because you didn't use your guy for more than three outs, then maybe that's something that future managers will will start to do and maybe it will trickle down to your setup guy and your your setup setup guy and you know maybe then maybe then we'll see some relievers actually pitch more than 60 innings in a season. So I have an idea for what teams should be doing going forward, and I want to know what you think about it. Um, as it is now, your game one starter can pitch on full rest in game five, mm-hmm. or he, he can pitch on short rest in game four. Your game two starter can pitch on full rest in game five, because the way the travel is, your four, your number one and two starters are both available on full rest for game five. And so what I think teams should be doing is actually using their, their best pitcher in game two mm. so that they can use uh, – they still get their two starts. They maximize their, their ace, right? Uh, they definitely get two starts out of their ace. But they also can maximize their number uh, two starter by having him go in game one and then be available like Scherzer was last year in relief on short rest. Mm. I'm not comfortable using starters on short rest but I am totally comfortable using them on short rest in a relief or even a sort of modified relief, like a two or three inning mm-hmm. stint. And so in a way you could maximize your, your, your one and two, instead of basically just getting three starts and nothing more out of them or else having to, to pitch them on short rest, which is uh, a perilous thing. You get three starts plus three high leverage innings in game four if necessary. So like with the Tigers, they were able to do this because there's yeah. no difference between their one and their two. Mm-hmm. But like, like if you imagine that that Verlander wasn't their their number two, and maybe say like you know, imagine a world where the say I don't know Cardinals had done this uh, with Ray, Wainwright coming in in relief 
uh, in game four, it would have been impossible, right? You, you couldn't bring Wainwright in in relief in game four because there'd be a big drop off between your number one and your number two, and everybody would totally have a freak out over mm-hmm. it. Um, so if Wainwright started game two, though, and then could pitch game five, and then, you know, your number two pitcher pitched game one and then could pitch game four, it seems like you get three extra innings. Yeah, that that seems like a good idea. I could get on board with that. And why why would you not do that? I guess the I guess managers would would say that there's some momentum benefit yes. to getting that yeah. first game, getting that first yeah. win. Um, yeah, you would definitely be second guessed if you lost game one. Then you would have columnists talking about how important it is to jump out ahead mm-hmm. and how important the confidence is. And I mean, it would definitely that would be the big downside is that. And maybe that's a maybe it's real, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just columnist talk. But mm-hmm. one way or another, that would come up. Yeah. But you would also have, you know, you'd, it would look pretty cool when you had game five and you had a rested ace mm-hmm. going for you. Yeah, I agree. Good idea. Okay. Uh, I wonder. It's it's also possible. I haven't thought this through, but it's also possible there might be ripple effects for the NLCS or for the you know championship series, mm-hmm. where if your ace is pitching game five instead of game. Well, I guess the ace was going to pitch game five regardless, mm-hmm. unless you went on short rest. So that actually wouldn't matter. That would be perfectly fine because your your number two starter would certainly be able to bounce back from two or three innings of relief to pitch game one, I imagine. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I feel good about it. Uh, all right. Next, uh, Red Sox and Rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Red Sox, of course, they their narrative was set in stone last year. Whatever they did this year was going to be uh, the reaction to that. And so this seems to be the chemistry team, right? Yeah, chemistry, beards. Yeah, beards instead of beer. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be a headline. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is probably the most, the, the chemistry-iest uh, sentiment that I saw uh, was on Yahoo!, which had a long story about um, the well, it had a long story about the Red Sox chemistry and it tied in Craig Breslow's chemistry background, I guess, <laughs> and also the TV show Breaking Bad, uh-huh. uh, and had this paragraph: Bogarts wasn't around last year, the year of beer and fried chicken and and gas. He came into this season hoping to work on his confidence and his patience at the plate. He had help from Gomes and Ross, guys who shared information rather than hoarding it, guys who spread the wealth and never the blame. Mm. So that seems to be pretty much the entire Red Sox narrative in one paragraph. That was an impressive walk that he drew. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that seems to be it. Mm-hmm. They also seem to have leapfrogged the Tigers. I mean, it feels like to some degree the— People think the Red Sox are— if any, I might have said that people think the Red Sox are the best team, not the Dodgers. Uh, maybe I think I think the Dodgers. I, I would bet that if you pulled the pulled the nation, mm. pulled the nation's writers, they would definitely go with the Dodgers. But the Red Sox are the best, considered the best team in the AL now. I think in a way that they ne- they weren't necessarily heading in. Yeah, like the Tigers. I th- I feel like the Tigers would were the. Uh, the, the popular favorite mm-hmm. going in because of their rotation. And it really only takes one one loss before everybody like <laughs> reapprises the, the situation. I mean, I feel like the Red Sox, by, by the end of the second game, 
Mm-hmm. Everybody had just decided, oh, well, no one's going <laughs> to stop the Red Sox because yeah. they've won two. Yep. And and the Tigers are in danger because they can't score. Yes. Or because Miguel Cabrera is injured and mm-hmm. might not survive, which seems fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the Rays? Uh, is it is it like a Joe Madden is too clever for his own good narrative? It could be. I I, I don't. I, it could it could definitely be that. Although they they had such they had the Joe Madden magic in Game Three, mm. which wasn't really his choice, right? I mean, Lobatone hitting that home run was <laughs> yeah. forced upon him, mm-hmm. but it was you know it's sort of classic Joe Madden magic, and. Uh, then he, w- I don't know that his him pulling Hellickson yesterday mm-hmm. after after one inning doesn't seem to have backfired and it doesn't seem to have been criticized. Yeah, and so that uh, he's kind of probably regained his his prestige. I think that the the narrative is maybe going to be like which pitcher do they trade now? They need to they obviously uh, well, need yeah. to trade a pitcher, and you know it's going to be counting down the minutes until Hellickson gets traded, or can mm-hmm. they afford to keep Price for another year? Uh, it just it it probably just goes to this idea of them never being able to be quite good enough, and you know how aggressive are they going to be trading a pitcher to get to be good enough? Yeah, in in Zachary Levine's recap of of uh, Game Four, which is up at BP right now, he he said kind of that, like where does each team go from here? And he talked about the Red Sox advancing, and then he talked about David Price basically, and and how. Uh, the Rays are kind of a tough team to upgrade because they're not really losing a lot of people and they didn't really have any big holes this season. So there's not really a one place to get much better. And I don't know, the, the things that, that they were good at just kind of let them down in this series. Will Myers wasn't that good, but Will Myers is good. The defense wasn't that good, but the defense is good. So maybe the narrative there is that they'll be okay and they'll be back um or maybe they'll make some amazing trade and and i guess the royals are in need of a starter again so they could go back to the well with david price figure they could get more for price from the royals than they got for shields um so just out of curiosity if if you were i mean obviously these are not mutually exclusive options but would you expect them to get a better return on the dollar trading uh, a guy like Price, who is, uh, you know, in at, at at a peak, or you know, has not, uh, has you know, he's an ace, he's a super ace. They'll get a ton, right? Yeah. Um, or Hellickson, a guy who is uh, uh, low in his career right now, but you know, clearly could be lower or could be higher. Like he's a mm-hmm. he's an unknown. Which which do you think gives them a like kind of a better better value on the dollar? Or I guess who should they trade? <sighs> I think probably you might get more back, you know, per win that you're giving up for Helixson. Yeah, I would think so too. Because it's hard to get, it's hard to replace a superstar. I mean, even if obviously Price would command a a very very top prospect, but or multiple top prospects. But even so, when you trade sort of a Cy Young winner type, and maybe it's better with a pitcher than a position player, but when you trade someone that good, it's hard to get equal value back. Whereas with Hellickson, maybe he's not great, but he's young and under team control and and inexpensive. So maybe someone would give you back a, a pretty good prospect for him and maybe you'd end up doing better there. Um, 
then again, I guess if the Rays can't afford to keep price, then then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're they're not. It's not actually an either or situation. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we're done with this episode. We should have mentioned at the start that we are pushing back the listener email show to tomorrow for scheduling reasons. So if you haven't sent in an email yet, uh, you can still do that, and maybe we will talk about it on tomorrow's show. The address is podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And in the meantime, uh, check out baseballperspectus.com for some of our, our playoff coverage, which has been pretty comprehensive. Someone at BP is... Is previewing each game and each series and also recapping each game. Uh, and there are Pakoda simulations of each game before it's played. And Jason Parks and the prospect staff have been working on advanced reports, very, very detailed looks at how to get certain prominent players out. So there's a lot of stuff to see there. Uh, so head over to baseballperspectus.com if you're looking for some playoff reading. And we will be back tomorrow.